at the end of 2003, I'd say about the end of February, 1st of November, I began to pray about 2014, and God, what would you <clears throat> have me focus on, or what would you have our church focus on in the new year 2014? And four words, or actually four um, things, I guess you would say, four topics or, or four actions kind of came up in my heart. And what I did was I took those four things and, and put a word with each one so it'd be easy to remember. And so that's where these four words are coming from, multiplication, invitation, infiltration, and continuation. So we'll talk about two today and two next week. Let's talk about multiplication. <clears throat> when I talk about multiplication, I'm talking about a multiplication of leadership. We have to have a leadership pipeline that functions in this church all the time. And we're going to talk to you about that pipeline today and how you can get in it. We're going to look at an Old Testament example of a leadership mindset that was not working. And so somebody with wisdom came along and said, hey, this is not a good thing you're doing here. We want you to, or, or he said, I, I feel like you need to do it different. I love what he said. We're talking about Moses here and his father-in-law, Jethro. Jethro comes to Moses. He has Ellie Mae with him. And they're just talking... Got some old people here today. <laughs> Got that joke. <clears throat> so Jethro's talking to Charlton Heston, and he says to him, he says, you're not doing it right. I love you. I care about you. The way you're doing it, the way you're, listen to me, the way you're doing leadership, you're going to kill yourself. So you have to do leadership different. So that's what we're going to talk about uh, today. Multiplication, a leadership, a pipeline of leadership. Um, before I forget it, Pastor Andy talked about it a little bit this coming Wednesday night. If you have not taken our discovery class where you find out who we are as a church, you kind of get behind the scenes a little bit about who we are as a church, then you need to take our discovery class coming this Wednesday night. It doesn't obligate you to anything. Uh, it just gives you more in behind the curtain, behind the scene uh, kind of stuff. So I hope you'll, I hope you'll come to that. Uh, if we haven't already maxed out, um, that class might be a limitation on that class, but we'll have it again real soon, and you can get in on the next one. That's part of the pipeline process, is that you've got to find out what kind of church you're in, what that church believes, what that church, what are the core values of that church, because if our core values are not your core values, if our doctrine isn't your doctrine, if we believe things about the Bible you don't believe, I mean major things, then you don't need to get in the pipeline because you're not going to be happy here. But if you like what you've seen so far and you think you're in harmony with where we're going as a church, we'd love for you to take that class on Wednesday night. Now, here, <clears throat> here's the deal. When, this is important right here, very, very important. When a church focuses on not church growth, but when a church focuses on souls, focuses on conversion, focuses on changed lives, life change, getting people saved, getting lost people to Jesus. When a church focuses on that, when a church becomes creative about that, when a church becomes very intentional about that, two things are going to happen. The first one is the most important. People are going to get saved. People are going to come out of sin and they're going to follow Jesus. But the church is also going to grow. 
It's going to grow. Now, I can tell you now, because I've tried it. If you focus on growth, you won't grow. And if you do grow, you'll grow unhealthy. But you, if you focus on life change and you focus on conversion, and if you focus on not getting people to the bridge but getting people to Jesus, guess what God's going to do? Bless the bridge. He's going to bless any church like that. We've had people come up to our altars and give their heart to Christ and then look at us and go, I don't think this is going to be the church for me. Because of our size, maybe they're uncomfortable with that. Because of the music, it's a little bit not, you know, it's not traditional. I doubt any other church played the song we played for the offering today. Don't y'all doubt that? I doubt that. So we, we're a little different. But that doesn't mean we're better than anybody else or that our way is the best way. It's just the way God's told us to do it. Okay? But there are churches that do it much more traditional. And you know what? They're going to reach people for Christ we'll never reach. So we're not going to criticize them. You say, well, I know some of them and they're criticizing us. Big deal. Don't worry about it. When we get to heaven, Jesus will straighten them out. Amen. All right. So, so Jesus is going to look at those people and go, I like pastor's shoes. I like them too. So, so, um, so what we have to do is we have to make sure, listen to this, this is very important, that as the church grows in number, that the leadership base is also growing. Because if you don't, if you keep the leadership base at this width and the church begins to grow in number as our church is, then you get this effect. You get a narrow base wide at the top. And what does that create? Instability, absolutely. How many churches have we seen that knew how to get a crowd, knew how to build a big number, but then in a little while, things just begin to disintegrate, begin to fall apart. Here's why. Because of the skeletal system of that church. When I talk to you about leadership and structure and flow charts, I know you can go yawn, you know, and, and uh, you can go, I don't want to hear about all that. But I'm going to tell you, it's really, really, really important that we have a good administrative structure in this church because it's like the skeleton of the body. Now, you can't see any of my bones today. You can't see any of my bones, but believe me, they're there, or I would just be a big old pile of nothing up here on the stage. Have y'all seen that far side joke of the boneless chicken farm? <laughs> so I talked about that in the early service, and they had the same reaction you did because far side, how many of y'all like far side? Okay, so you got to go look that one up, the boneless chicken farm, because all the chickens are in the chicken yard, but they're just laying on the ground because they're boneless. All right, so, so some of y'all get that later. Just bear with me. So my point is that that's what organizational structure is to a church. We don't really want you to see our organizational structure on Sunday. We just want you to see what it produces. That friendly atmosphere, a warm atmosphere. and uh, See all this thing about the, the uh, Connect card. And we tell the first-time guests to hold on to that Connect card. And when you leave, there's a table on your left as you're going out the main. It's called the VIP uh, um, table. And you'll walk over there and give them your Connect card. And we'll give you a gift, a free gift. It's a bobblehead doll of me. So you don't want to miss the gift. It's, it's not that. It's not. So get, get your gift. And then we're going to take that card and we are going to come see you tonight. No, we're not. No, we're not. 
we're not coming tonight. We're not coming. Uh, you don't want us to come, and we don't want to come. So, <laughs> can I get amen on that? Can I just say something? Please call me if you're going to come to my house so I can tell you don't. So, that's not true. But, you know, I just, I don't look like this when I'm at home. You say, well, you don't, you look pretty casual. Oh, hey, I wear nothing but velvet when I'm at home. I am very, a lot of velour, a lot of velour at the house. <laughs> uh, so if you ring my doorbell and you could hear the TV and all of a sudden the TV mutes, I'm trying to pretend I'm not there. So leave. <laughs> How many of y'all grew up in churches where, you know, you have church and you go, everybody come out here Monday night, we're going on visitation. Can I just tell you something about visitation? There were two people when I went on visitation that didn't like it. Me and the person's door I was knocking on. Those were the two people who didn't like it. So what we're going to do is we're going to, I don't even know why I'm talking about that, but let me just tie it in here real quick, create a segue. Um, we're going to teach you how to evangelize this Sunday, next Sunday, in your, in your lifestyle. Not to say you have to do an event. Now, we love evangelism events. As a matter of fact, I watched a whole team of people behind the church just load up to go to the soup kitchen. Let's give it up for our soup kitchen team. So they're going to go to the soup kitchen, and they're going to feed those people, and they're going to preach. They're going to declare the gospel to them. And uh, they do most of that not by getting on a stage, but one-on-one -on -one with the people who come. Because we're not about just feeding people, we're about getting them to Jesus and getting some life change. Y'all with me? So, so there are events like that, but what I want, I hope after today and next Sunday that you guys understand that what I want to produce in my own life first, in me first, is a culture of evangelism, a culture of outreach. Not a thing where unless we're having an event, you're not doing any outreach. I want you, and we'll talk about this really more next Sunday, I want you to see yourself as a one-man, one-woman outreach team. And every morning you get up with a mindset that is open to opportunities that are going to come during the day for you to just invite somebody or talk about your church. That's what, that's what we, um, that's, this is one of the tools that we've made available uh, I hope you'll, re th these things cost us about a dollar a piece. Now, when you buy them by the thousand, you know, I mean, you, you buy a thousand of these, you, that's, it's like a thousand dollars. So, so uh, read it, read it, read it, and give one away. Give one away, okay? So that's really important. So let's talk about leadership here, and let me get moving, because I had a bunch of scripture on that front page. We want you in that pipeline, because you have a gift, you have an ability, you have talent, and, uh, um, you're going to stand before God one day, listen carefully to what I'm about to say, and he's going to ask you what you did with the talent he gave you. Now, at that meeting where you stand before God, it's not a meeting to determine if you're going to heaven or not. That's been determined, but it's a judgment seat of Christ. It is the judgment of Christians where Jesus is going to ask you, okay, you're going into heaven. That's signed and sealed, delivered. Hey, um, that should be a song. So, uh, 
I'm going to let you in heaven. You're going to go in. But right before, I want, the, I want you to tell me what you did with the money I gave you. What did you do with the time I gave you? What did you do with the talent I gave you? Come on, come on, come on. Give, give, give it. He's going to ask you to tell him. And I want you, as your pastor, I want you to be able to say, I want you, I want you to be able to hold your head up high. I want you to be able to look him dead in the eye, and I want you to be able to tell him what you did with the time, talent, and treasure that he put in your hand. I don't want you to have to hang your head down when you answer that question. And, I, and, and here's what I think about all the time is when people are standing before God who've been in churches I've been the pastor of, I don't want them to look at God and go, he never told us that. He never, he never so your excuse, if you had one, I just ruined it because I'm telling you right now, he's going to ask you that question. He's going to ask you that question when you get uh, before him. And so you've got to be able to answer. So let, let's go through this. So Exodus 18, 13 through 26, I'm going to go through it real fast. Just follow along with me. Take notes in the margin. I, I tried to leave a little space between the verses so you can jot things down that come to your mind. The next day, verse 13, the next day Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. I think this is the New Living Translation. If you're, if you're on your phones, getting the uh, Bible there or whatever, New Living. Um, the next day, Moses um, took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning to evening. So this is the CEO of Israel. And he's doing everything. He's doing all the ministry. And so there are people lining up every morning. I mean, here he is in the desert sitting on a rock, and he, they line up and bring their disputes and their questions and issues to him. And Moses, because he's God's man, he knows God's word, he knows God's statutes, he knows how God wants us to behave, he knows how God wants to, these kind of things to be handled. So Moses is doing his job, man. He's doing his job. But here's the problem. Only a few people are getting ministered to. At the end of the day, the line is still long, and they never got to Moses. They never got to him. So Moses needs some help. So verse 14, and I want you to know, uh, this is his father-in-law Jethro coming to him. And uh, I want you to notice how honest Jethro is speaking into Moses' life. Now, it's important application here. I'm going to give you some practical application. All of you need a Jethro in your life. All of you need somebody in your life who can speak honestly to you because they have a perspective of your life you don't have. And so they can come to you and go, you know what, I know you're doing that, but I've been watching you and I don't think you realize that if you did it this way, you would get more fruit because it's about the fruit, baby. It is not about the time invested I mean, you can go around and brag about time invested all you want to, but if there's no fruit on the vine, it doesn't matter how hard you work. Am I right about that? And so he's looking at Moses going, hey, there's a better way. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, now in the King James Version, it says when he saw all that Moses was doing to the people. I think really Moses was doing more to them than he was for them. Now, he's about to do something for them before this is over with, but right now, he's really harming them. Other than the few that he gets to help every day, he's harming everybody else because he can't get to everybody. So he, he says, what are you, everybody say that, say that question, that first question in verse 14. What are you really? Here's what Jethro is saying. 
hey, Moses, you're putting in a lot of hours, and you can brag about your time card, but you're not producing anything, or you're not producing very much. It's about production. It isn't about time invested. It's about production. And I'm all about hours, and I'm all about eight hours a day, and I'm all about putting in your time and doing your work, but I tell you what I'm far more interested in is production, a productive life. And that's what he's asking Moses about. You're not being productive. Look at the next question, verse 14. Why are you trying to do all this alone while everybody stands around you from? Look at verse 15. Moses replied, Moses replied, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. So I don't think Moses is, here the Greek word for aggravated is ticked off. I don't think he's ticked off here, but somebody's writing that down. I did not know that. Writing that down. Moses replied, because, <laughs> I think he kind of said because like that, because, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God, duh. When a dispute arises, Jethro, father-in-law, trying to get all up in my business, they come to me, I'm the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform people, the people of God's decrees, and give them instructions. See, Moses thinks he's doing the right thing. How many of you know leaders who think they're doing the right thing, but they're not? Moses thinks he's doing the right thing, but he's not. He ha- Listen to me. Moses has a toxic leadership mindset right here. Now, who am I to talk about Moses? But it's true. And I've had toxic leadership mindsets. And I had to break some of them for our church to be more productive. So Moses uh, explains it. He he didn't understand that what got Israel to one level won't get Israel to the next level. How many of y'all know when we started out with 69 people 25 years ago, 24 years ago actually, uh, that that you pastor the church one way when there's 69 people, you pastor it a different way when there's 200, you pastor it another way when there's 500, another way when there's 800, a different way when there's 1,000, and a different way when there's 1,500, and now we're at 1,700, and so I'm having to learn to pastor the church differently every time. Listen, listen, listen. Message don't change. Message doesn't change. Message doesn't change. The skeletal system, though, has to change. If we don't, you, you can't run a growing organization the same way at every level. And so, so Moses is having a hard time seeing that. But I tell you, in verse 17, man, uh, Jethro clears it up. Well, let me clear things up for you, Moses. Everybody say it out loud with me. Verse 17. This is... <laughs> let me just go ahead and get to the point. I know you think it's good, Moses. It's not. I like what it says, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. He didn't go, hey, it's not good. He went, it's not good. You're going to wear yourself out, and not only are you going to wear yourself out, you're going to wear the people out too. Why? Why would that wear the people out? Because at the end of every day, tons of people went away getting no ministry from Moses. Because one man can't do it. So he says, this job is too what? Heavy uh, for you to all buy. Boom. That's good right there. 
verse 19. I can see this older gentleman looking at this younger gentleman saying, now listen to me. And since he was his son-in-law, he might have said, boy, now listen to me, boy. And let me give you a what? Can I just ask y'all a question today? Are you open to words of advice from people who love you? Because if you've got a big chip on your shoulder and nobody can tell you anything and nobody can speak into your life and nobody can say, you know, that worked then but it's not working now. And if you don't let anybody do that without getting offended and hurt, you're going to keep doing the same dumb stuff over and over and over. God puts Jethro's in our life. And if you don't have a Jethro in your life, you say, well, I don't have one. You've probably run him off. Because he's tried to speak into your life and you keep getting mad. Because you don't want anybody to tell you anything or point out that there's a better way. Come on, get over yourself. And let somebody speak into your life. He says, now listen to me. Let me give you a word of advice. And Moses, this isn't something you just do because you went to a seminar. You're going to need what? God to be with you. You can't do this just because I said it, Moses. Go to God. Go to God, and you, you get God to confirm what I'm about to tell you. You make sure he goes with you. Moses, I'm going to give you some advice, and I'm going to give you a plan, but don't you try to do it apart from God. You need God. And so um, he goes on, you should continue to be with the people's, you, you should continue to be the people's representative before God. In other words, listen to this. Gosh, this is so important. He said, Moses, the greatest, most effective time that you have with the children of Israel and for the children of Israel is not when you're standing in front of them talking about God, but when you're standing in front of God talking about them. He said, look what he says right there in verse 19. You should continue to be with, you, you should continue to be the people's representative before God bringing their disputes to him. He's saying, really, Moses, a major part of your life ought not to be with the people of Israel. A major part of your life as a spiritual leader, you ought to be with God, representing the people before God so God can give you direction about where to lead these people. And that happens in prayer. Look at verse 20. Now, Moses, here's what you do, buddy. Teach them God's decrees, because you're a man of the word. You know the word. Now, back then, they didn't have the word like we have the word. But they, they knew what God's decrees were, and they knew what God's instructions were. Look at the last sentence in verse 20. Show them how to conduct their lives. Here's what, here's what Jethro's saying to Moses right there. He's saying, train them, equip them, train the people, equip them, so they'll do the work of the ministry. Let me tell you why the bridge has gone from 69 people to 1,700 people. Here's why. Because you guys bought in to the Bible model on how to have church. Most churches in America today are plateaued or declining, and here's why. People want to hire them a preacher to do what God's called them to do. You've, you've not done that to me. When you brought me on as your pastor, you said, Pastor, give us a vision, give us Give us what God's put in your heart that we're supposed to do. Help us find out what our gift is. Train us, Pastor. Find other people who can train us. And let's get this whole thing called the bridge. Not one man hired to do all the ministry. 
but bring in somebody who can equip us and challenge us and inspire us and train us so that we can go out and do the work of the ministry. That's why in the middle of a soybean field in Princeton, North Carolina, eastern North Carolina, surrounded by fields, farmland, and mobile homes, that's why we're where we are today because you people bought into the Bible model for how to do church. And I don't want you to clap. I don't want you to clap. Don't clap. I'm going to clap for you. I'm serious. I'm clapping for you. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Let me tell you what we have here, and we're not perfect. And we still work on that. We still work on it and work on it because you don't drift toward the right way. You always drift toward the wrong way. So we're always evaluating, constantly, constantly evaluating and saying this is not Farrell's church. This is not the staff's church. This is not the, the board's church. This is not the owner's church. This is God's church. How does God want us to do this thing? And because you have done that, God has blessed our church greatly. And I think our best days are in the future. Verse 21. He says, select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. So those two things, fear God and hate bribes. I mean, that verse is packed. Capable men, honest men, men with giftings, men, competent men. And not just men, ladies, it's humans. So it's ladies, all of you, all of you, uh, includes both genders here. Uh, Find those who are capable, find out what their gifts are, train them, make your expectations clear, and set them free to go lead. And don't look over their shoulder every minute, and don't breathe down their neck every minute like you don't trust them. Set them free to lead. He says, he says, You've got to get people who love God, who are right with God, have a healthy relationship with God. And if they have a healthy relationship with God, this next one actually would be a byproduct. But he throws in and they hate bribes, I believe, because he wants to emphasize to us here this morning that the lifestyle of a leader, more is expected of you. More is expected of a leader. Matter of fact, I'm going to just be real blunt with you. When you accept leadership role, you might have to change your behavior, not because it's right or wrong, but because it would be a stumbling block to a newer Christian or somebody who hasn't become a Christian yet. More is expected of leaders. I mean, all you got to do is read what Paul said to Timothy and what Paul said to Titus when he gave the qualifications of leadership, and you can tell uh, what's expected of a leader is higher than what's expected of everybody else. Why is that? Because when you are a leader... You emerge so that your life can more easily be seen. And so it is important that you live a lifestyle that backs up what's going in your heart spiritually and give people something of integrity, a person of integrity to follow. And, um, and God's making this real clear right here. And we, you know, we're just seeing a lot of, I mean, one of my favorite or, or one of my dear friends recently pastoring a church fell into sin. And I've been texting him. He had to give his church up. And I mean, he was a rising star and he had to give his church up. And I've been texting him every week saying, man, I love you. I love you. I love you, man. God loves you. Because he's going through that thing now where he just realizes what he's done. 
And I've, I've just been doing that. God's just been reminding me to do that. So integrity is so important. Verse 21, last verse, appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,000. So you got thousands of people here, uh, Moses. So let's break them up into thousands. Get a thousand here and a thousand there and a thousand, a thousand, a thousand, a thousand. He said, and then go into those groups of a thousand and break them down into hundreds. And then go into the groups of hundreds and break it down to fifties. And then go into a group of fifties and break it down to tens. I mean, Jethro would have been great at multi-level marketing, wouldn't he? He'd have been great. Look at verse 22. He said, now you have to teach them that they have to always be available to solve the people's common disputes. Because right now, Moses, you're the only one doing that. So you've got to train them. See, you back up to verse 20, and that's where he tells them you've got to train them and then release them. And then you tell them, Moses, what you expect. Verse 22, tell them that you expect them to be available to the people to solve their common disputes. But Moses, you're still the CEO, so when there's a big dispute that can't be worked out uh, normally, then they will bring that to you, the major cases. They'll bring those to you. Isn't this this clear? And then, I love that last sentence in verse 22. They, they, these leaders that you're going to recruit and train, they will help you what? Carry the load and make the task. Who's into easy? I'm into easy, baby. I don't mean lazy. Lazy and easy aren't the same thing. You ever heard somebody say, don't work harder, work smarter? That's what we're talking about here. Let's go on to verse 23. If you follow this advice, I mean, you don't have to, but if you do follow it, and if God confirms it, commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure the And all these people will. Man. That's good right there, buddy. See, if all of us function as a a body, you say, well, I'm not an owner yet. We will work you like a rented mule before you're an owner. I'll tell you that right now. (laughs) Won't they? (laughs) New people who've been here six months are going, yes. (sighs) Yes, they will. Okay. 24, Moses listened to his father-in-law. Give it up for Moses. Yay, Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his suggestions. He chose capable men from all over Israel and appointed them as leaders over the people. He put them in charge of groups of 1,150 and 10. Verse 26, these men were always available to solve the people's common disputes. They brought the major cases to Moses, but they took care of the smaller matters themselves. Hallelujah. Now, we've got a little card, there should be some out there, that tells you about our pipeline to connect with the church. So Wednesday night, if you've not taken our discovery class, we're doing that Wednesday night, if there's still openings there, and you can ask at the Connect Center about that. And we're going to help you discover your gifts, we'll help you discover your passion. I don't believe you do that in, in, uh, in um, the discovery class, maybe, but you do that in some of the other classes come up. You can tell I'm not the one who handles that. Pastor Andy kind of handles that whole thing, so he can give you details about that. You, if you want to get involved, you say, well, I just want to get involved. I just want, hey, like that soup kitchen, man, how would I get in on that deal? You can call the church. 
and talk to Pastor Jimmy Bryant. You can go on our website and click on serve and a little form will come up and you fill out that little form. Take you two minutes to fill it out, send it in. Somebody will call you. Now I know somebody's out there right now going, I filled that little form out and nobody didn't call me. So we're testing you. We're testing you, your patience. <laughs> so if you've done that, then you, you do it again. Just do it again and put in the note. I've already sent this one time and that'll get our attention. And then, I'm sorry, you, you know, we're humans. We're humans. So stuff falls through the cracks sometimes. So make sure you do it. Don't get mad at us. Don't get mad at us because we didn't call you back. Uh, ring the bell again. Uh, there are little cards out there, serve cards. You can fill those out and check where you... And look, when you go online and fill that little thing out or you fill out a little card, it doesn't obligate you to anything. Here's what you're saying. I just want more information. I just want more information. We'll get you more information, Okay. Word number two, one word number two, invitation, invitation. So when you get to the end of your life, God's going to say stuff like, what did you do right before you go into heaven? What did you do to bring more people to me? What did you do to get more people to my son Jesus? Tell me what you did. He's going to ask you, what did you do to help people decide to follow my son Jesus Christ? What did you do to help people become fully devoted followers of my son Jesus? And as a Christian, again, we want to be able to answer that with, with our head up. So what we're going to do today in the sermon, and next week not only in the sermon, but we're going to give you a packet of tools to take with you next week. There's going to be an invite card in there where you can just pass out invite cards. Because what's happening in about two weeks? Not two weeks, four weeks, about four or five weeks. What's happening? Easter. People will come to church on Easter who hate church. But we've had people come to church on Easter here and go, that is not the church I remember. And they liked it and they stayed because they think church is boring. And a lot of churches, I guess, are boring, but I don't think we have that here, do we? You, you, I know you're out there thinking, just when you go long, Pastor, just when you go long. Um, so get them here, get them here. Now, the next sermon series I'm going to do is something everybody's interested in. So if you will tell people, the pastor's going to talk about Satan. The pastor's going to talk about the doctrine of Satan. Our next sermon series is called Duped. Fooled, tricked. And he's going to talk about Satan. He's going to talk about, you know, a lot of people think Satan's like this little comic strip character or, you know, pointy tail and the pitchfork and... A lot of people think um, uh, uh, Satan is like a mindset or a way of thinking or, um, you know. So we're going to just do a series on Satan. And that series is going to lead up to Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday where after we have described who Satan is, we are going to show how Jesus defeated him in his death, burial, and resurrection. So what you're going to do, you're going to get this stuff next week and you're going to pass it out to your friends. The Just Because card, that's a card where you do a, a, a random act of kindness for somebody, you know, rake their leaves, mow their yard, whatever, and then just leave, just leave a card with them and go, hey man, I love you, Jesus loves you, and then walk off. Okay? So we'll have that for you next week. So one of the primary ways to evangelize is by just simply inviting people to come to church with you. Be a bringer. Everybody say that out loud with me. Be a bringer. Be a bringer. Bring somebody. Bring somebody to church. Be a bringer. 
An invitation makes people feel special. It makes people feel special. It makes people feel wanted. It makes people feel accepted. It makes people feel valued. So when you're inviting somebody to church, you're not, you're not preaching to them. Because I'm going to tell you, and I know there are people that disagree with me on this, but they'll see how wrong they are eventually. If you start out with a Bible in your hand talking to somebody who doesn't know Christ, you're going to shut that door quick. Because they're going to go, oh, I see what's going on here. But if you say, hey, man, I love my church. I love my church. You can wear blue jeans, T-shirt. Pastor wore Moses T-shirt. <laughs> Pastor wears crazy shoes. And um, just come to my church. Man, I love my church. You don't have to do anything, not obligate me. Just come with me. And try to get them here for the Duped series. But definitely work on getting them here Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. Okay? Use that packet. Because when you invite people, they feel special. Now, if you go up to them and go, you're probably going to hell. See, that is probably going to... Am I right? Am I right about that? Number two, an invitation is a powerful way to what? Reach out to other people. So let me give you a few examples. A man reaches out to a lady and asks her to go out with him on a date. A business person really values a client, so he invites that client for lunch. Now, when a business person invites that client for lunch, it makes that client feel what? If that man asks that woman out for a date, it makes that woman feel? Absolutely. She might go, you're ugly, I'm not going, but that made me feel special. Number three, a housewife invites a neighbor over for coffee. You know what that neighbor thinks? That neighbor thinks she really does want to be friends. She has always said she wanted to be friends. She's always said she wanted to have me over for coffee, but she never did. So you set a date and you have them over for coffee. That makes them feel special. A family invites another family to dinner. You know, a family from the bridge who goes to church, makes friends with a new couple who moved into their neighborhood, and they call them up and say, hey, guys, we just want to get to know you. Come over and have dinner with us. And before they leave, don't talk about everything unless they bring it up. Don't talk about, oh, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about my church. You know, they're going to get up and run. They're going to run. Don't talk about that. Matter of fact, don't talk about you. Talk about them. Say, tell us your background. Your background. Tell us you know, and you, you know, one of the questions when you're talking to people about their background is, uh, yeah, do, do you have a church background? Yeah. And then when they say what it is, don't use that as, oh, let me tell you about our, don't do that yet. Because they're going to go, oh, now I know why I'm here. But just right before they leave, go, look, guys, we didn't want to push this or talk about it a whole lot tonight, but we go to a church called The Bridge. There's an invitation card right there. Just take that with you. And we might not be the church for you, but we got some great churches in our city, in our community. And I just wanted to let you know about the bridge. And then let them go. The soft sell works better than the hard sell. And I know you say, oh, I don't believe the sell. Yeah, of course we are trying to sell people on the idea that they need the Lord. And they need a church family. And the bridge said, all right, uh, look at uh, C. Invitations were important during Bible times. 
And there were two kinds of invitations in the Bible. First of all, there were divine invitations. God gave some invitations. Let me just share some of those with you real quick. I think you got these in your notes. He invited sinners in Isaiah 1, 18 and 19. He invited the destitute in Isaiah 55. He invited the weary and heavy laden in Matthew 11. He invited the thirsty in Revelation 22. And we could actually go on and on. Many invitations in the Bible. These are divine. These were God giving. So, you know, we're supposed to be like God, like Jesus and he was giving invitations. So look at the human invitations. There was also not only divine uh, invitations, but there were human. Let's look at a couple of those. Um, and I didn't put these in your notes. I probably should have. First of all, the act of an invitation was prophesied in Isaiah. And throughout the Bible, we see the acts of invitation practiced. Prophesied, Isaiah 2, 1 through 3, and practice. Let me give you some examples where it was practiced. And you're not going to get a chance to write all this down because I've got to go through it quickly. But Andrew invited his brother Peter to Jesus in John 1. Philip invited Nathaniel to Jesus in John 1. The Samaritan invited neighbors to come over to her house and meet Jesus in John 1. Not over to her house, but she invited her, her neighbors to come meet Jesus. In... Um, Matthew, I love Matthew. Matthew um, had a feast and invited everybody over for the feast. I mean, that's how I think right there. Amen. Who's with me on that? I was going to say they had a pig picking, but these are Jewish people, so I doubt they had a <laughs> pig picking. So They had a sheep picking. <laughs> so Mo, Matthew gave a feast and uh, invited everybody over to eat and talked about Jesus. And Cornelius, Jesus had ascended at this time in Acts chapter 10, but Cornelius invited his friends over for a small group meeting because he had a special guest he wanted them to hear speak, and it was Peter. Invitation, invitation, invitation. Divine from God, divine from God. Human invitations all through the Bible, all through the Bible. In the Bible throughout history, we see the power of an invitation. God the Father and God the Son extended their invitation. Number three, and the disciples extended invitation and won people to the Lord. And you got it at the bottom of your notes. Look, look at some of the places. They, invite, they were invited to church. They were invited to study the Bible, life groups. Uh, they were invited to understand and believe the gospel. So these are the invitations. Now, you say, well, Pastor, I have invited people, and I've just kind of run out of people to invite because uh, the people I've invited that I know, my family, have just come up with all these excuses. Well, I'm going to give you a scripture for that. Uh, John, uh, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 14, verses 16 through 21, talks about the master sending people out to invite people to a banquet. And all of a sudden, there were a bunch of excuses. And he came back and said, there's a bunch of excuses out there. He said, just go around them when they give you an excuse and invite everybody. Invite the poor, invite the homeless, invite the hungry, invite everybody. So he said, when you, when you fill out your list and you've got all your responses from your list, then turn it over on this side, left it blank, start thinking of other people. Just go around the excuses and keep on inviting. Now let me close with this. I think we've made evangelism too hard. I think we've made it too hard. And I think that's why we're, a lot of churches aren't evangelizing, because we've made it difficult. I'm going to make it very easy for you. We're going to make it really easy. All we want you to do is do a random act of kindness for somebody and leave a just because card. 
Give people an invitation card. Hand them one of our little devotional books. Invite them to church, especially as we are going into this Easter season. People are really, really um, sensitive about spiritual things at this time of the year, and they're really, really more open. And um, you're going to get family to come with you on Easter and during the Easter season that you're never going to get to come any other time. Now, I want to I want to just ask a very blunt question because right before I leave, send you out the door, I want you to have this on your mind. Is there anybody in your life that is going to go to hell because you just wouldn't invite them to church? You say, well, that's not fair. Well, is it true? Is there somebody that you could have been invited to church, but you're just like, oh, I'm not going to use that packet. I'm just not comfortable doing that and blah, blah, blah. Well, we're not asking you to go out on visitation Monday night. And we're not asking you to memorize tons of scriptures and get your great big Bible. You know, I like big Bibles and I cannot lie. You know, um, we're not asking you to get your great big Bible. We're not asking you to take classes. All we're asking you to do is be a bringer. Andrew did not try to teach Peter what Jesus said. He just got Peter to Jesus. Don't get in a debate with anybody. Just invite them to church. You're going to get some no's. You might even get a laugh. You might even get a little scoffing. Hey, man, that's good for us. Jesus got a little bit of that. Y'all remember? So is it okay if, like Jesus, we get laughed at a little bit or made fun of? Let's invite. Let's invite. And then when, when they come, we're going to wave at them in the parking lot, love them when they walk in the door. We're going to love on their kids. And when they walk in here and sit down, we're going to tell them what Jesus said. And we're going to see people come to Christ. And then we're going to get them in our new believers class. And we're going to get them in that leadership pipeline. And we're going to find out what their gifts and abilities are. And then they're going to become bringers. And this whole cycle just kicks in. And as we see the day of the Lord approaching, all this stuff going on in Russia, all this stuff going on, boys and girls, we, we don't have as much time as we used to. If we're going to get people to Christ, we've got to get busy. And I don't, know, I don't know how it could be any easier than what we've set forth here today. Amen.